Welcome to the Montgomery Community Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to grow deeper in your faith. If you'd like to learn more about MCC, you can visit our website at mcc.church. Have you ever been lost? You may have taken a wrong turn and got off trail and soon night falls and you don't have any light to help guide you. Let's face it, on any given day, we encounter more darkness than we do truth. But God is whispering to us all the time, telling us which way to go, but sometimes the, the outside or the internal voices they fill our heads. But God does more than just whisper to us. He gives us light. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God loves us so much, he provides a way. His word, only his word is our lamplight. Won't you follow? Well, it is awesome to be here with you today, and uh, what an incredible weekend. I mean, haven't you just been loving the snow? Yeah, all six people. Awesome. Yeah, they must be from Michigan, too. Um, yeah, it's, it's great, you know, how the snow just hangs off the, you know, the branches on the trees. I, I just love that. Um, so I hope you're enjoying this, and it's so good to be with you. And before I dive into the message today, I just want to highlight something. If, if you are new with us, maybe this is your first time, maybe you've been with us some weeks, maybe a few months, and you want to find out more, well, today is your opportunity Right after the service, we have Meet the Pastors, and this is a lunch. We just invite you to come. Just bring yourselves. We have the food and the drinks, and we're going to hang out and get to know each other and answer any questions that you have. So please stop by the welcome desk after the service, and they'll get you connected, and I'll just have the, I'd love to have the opportunity to meet you myself and talk with you here today. So I encourage you to do that. Well, before I dive into today's message, I want to play a little Jeopardy with you. That means that you're going to have to like ask your question out loud so everybody can hear it, okay? And, and I'm going to give you some clues. Uh, the answer is not in the sermon title for today, so that's not the answer. Uh, the answer is you've already sung it. A few, a few different songs already has mentioned the answer. And so here it is. Listen carefully. This once occasional problem for Americans has been growing over the past two decades and now is considered normal by many. Oh, that's what somebody said last service. That is close, but not quite there yet. They said, what is depression? Any other thoughts? What is anxiety? There you go. You get the prize, but there's not one. But hey, let's hear it for you. Yeah, um, yeah. What is anxiety? I mean, data from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health revealed that anxiety in adults increased from 5.12% in 2008 to 6.68% in 2018. Now, at first blush, you might listen to that and go, well, you know, over 10 years, you know, 1.5% increase. I know that represents hundreds of thousands of people, but it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. You got to keep in mind that this is an average, an average. When you take a closer look at how the age ranges kind of weigh out 
For example, anxiety for respondents between 18 and 25 years of age actually increased from 7.97% to 14.66% over that same time period, basically doubled. Keep in mind that this study tracked respondents until 2018. What happened shortly afterwards? COVID-19. And studies show that as a result, people have experienced a 25% increase in anxiety. And this has led many in our culture to refer to anxiety as our new normal. It's why you hear about it all the time. If you're listening, if you're on Instagram, Facebook, people talk about their anxiety and what's causing their anxiety, dealing with their anxiety. It's really become a buzzword. Anxiety, as we know, leads to depression. So somebody over here, you were right. That's a result of anxiety. And it's robbed so many people of life and of joy, but it's also increased the income of professional counselors. Because if you wanna see a professional counselor today, you're gonna have to wait weeks, sometimes months, because there are millions of people in our culture struggling with anxiety. And when we talk a lot about anxiety, much less about the word fear, they should actually be mentioned in the same breath. Why? As somebody wrote me, you can have fear without anxiety, but you can't have anxiety without fear. Let me say that again. You can have fear without anxiety, but you can't have anxiety without fear. You see, anxiety is a secondary emotion that surfaces whenever you feel fear. So something happens, right? You think you know, this happens to you, you feel fear, and the anxiety comes when we respond to it or we allow ourselves to respond to it. We kind of engage with it all, and it overtakes us. In light of this, I want us to turn to our lamplight scripture for today. It says, fear not. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Fear not. Now, before I talk more about why we aren't to fear and what that's all about, let's talk about a few questions of the text. First of all, who wrote Isaiah 41.10? Well, the book of Isaiah, you know, is filled with all these various prophecies from Isaiah himself, but scholars believe that it was actually King Hezekiah who eventually put them all together. And King Hezekiah began to reign in Judah at the age of 25, and biblically and historically, he is one of the most obedient kings in Judah. The context of Isaiah 41, I think it's important for us to understand why this was spoken. It's the same context we talked about last weekend. Many Jews have been taken into exile by their captors, the Babylonians. So they're far removed from their family, they're far removed from their friends, they're far removed from everything that they knew. And so they felt hopeless, helpless, and alone. Key questions in their minds, where is God? And has God forgotten us? They quickly responded how we sometimes do and we face far less, if we're honest. You see, they allowed their fear to grow to such a level that they started imagining all the worst case scenarios that could possibly come true. And so to combat their fear, they embraced various self-help techniques rooted in their own strength and their own willpower, which naturally failed to produce significant results. It only caused their fear to grow all the more. Have you been there? Are you there right now? If so, then hang in there with me because the best is yet to come if we'll embrace it. Or I might say the best is yet to come if we embrace him. Because you see, the question is not, is God speaking? The question is, are we listening to him and actually following through with what he says? To get Israel's attention, well, God spoke directly to them through the prophet Isaiah. 
And by doing so, God reminded them of one truth which was paramount for them, a truth that they should have already embraced and yet they somehow had forgotten along the way. They're like us. I think it's amazing how forgetful we can become whenever we face kind of a good season in our lives or a mountaintop experience that goes on for months. We get forgetful. And like Israel, we take, for granted, we take things for granted until the unwelcome guest of pain knocks on our door. I don't know about you, but I, but I think I've come to recognize the sound of that knock. It's why I don't want to answer, right? But if I don't answer what's going to happen, pain just comes barging through. That's what happens. When it comes to Israel, pain had not just knocked on their door, pain had pounded on their door. And so in the midst of all their fear, in the midst of all their forgetfulness, God reminded them of their value to him. But you, Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners, I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So God made things emphatically clear. He had called them to be a people who were very special and precious to him. A people who were blessed by God's promises and surrounded by God's grace. And while their choices weren't always good, sometimes downright bad, out of his love for them, God would not reject them. And the same holds true for you if you know Christ. God's not going to reject you either. In fact, Scripture is very clear that for those who repent and those who follow, those who believe and follow Christ, you are God's child. That's who you are. And since you are God's child, God has also made you an heir. That means he has adopted you as his son. He's adopted you as his daughter. You are his. But back to them, even though God had not rejected the Jewish people, They had rejected God in a variety of different ways. And that's why earlier in Isaiah, God gave them warnings that came in the form of five different woes, at least five. He said, woe to your debauchery, Isaiah 28. That's excessive indulgences into things that took them far afield from God. And then God said, woe to your hypocrisy in Isaiah 29. He even warned them. He said, these people, they come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. As we know, it's easy to sing songs of worship to God when we're in this room, but our heart can be far removed from him. It's called hypocrisy. This led to the third woe. Woe to those who try and hide their plans from me. Saying, God, yeah, I hear you. I'm going in your direction, but I kind of got my own agenda going on too over here. And you know, you're too busy to notice. And God says, oh, I see everything. Fourth, woe to those who form evil alliances, Isaiah 30. That would be alliances, for example, with various idols we've allowed in our lives to displace God, all while we're saying we honor God. And then woe to those who embrace complacency, Isaiah 30. That's an uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's achievements. Look at what I have done. Isn't that amazing? And we post it, we have pictures of it so people can see what we've done and then respond to what we've done and be impressed by what we've done. Each one of these responses caused them to take their eyes off of God, put it on themselves, and it only served to produce more and more fear and anxiety. Have you experienced any of these woes in your life? 
I ask because Israel sure did. And yet toward the end of these woes, God lovingly told them where to go. He said, this is the way. Walk in it. You've been going to the left. You've been walking to the right. Nothing political there, of course, right? Uh, But he's saying, you know, you're going every which way, but you're not walking with me. This is the way. Walk in it. A loving instruction. And even so, they couldn't hear God because their independence from God had paved the way for something that was screaming even louder. Their fear. Fear was now controlling them. And it was a sad result because earlier, God's people actually got it right. And they had declared a truth which greatly applies to us. They said to God, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And that's true. We place our focus on God and we know his peace. And yet times have changed because hearts have changed. So how's your heart doing? Where's your heart truly focused? I ask because as their trust in God waned and their thoughts actually turned to others, peace became a distant memory as the enemy of fear became their constant friend. And it's a response to all of that stuff that God says, fear not. Fear not. In reality, God tells all of his children not to fear. We see this all the way through the Bible. And for example, even when we see an angel, an Old Testament, New Testament, you know, speaking for God to somebody, and the angel appears to them most often, not every time, but most often, the angel started by saying, fear not, or do not be afraid. So it should cause us to ask, you know, what's wrong with fear? I mean, what's wrong with it? The science world tells us that fear is physical. Did you know that? Fear is physical. When fear is experienced in your mind, it triggers a strong physical reaction in your body. In fact, as soon as fear sets in, a small organ in the middle of your brain called the amygdala, it goes to work. It alerts your nervous system, which sets your body's fear response into motion. And very quickly, stress hormones are released. Your blood pressure and heart rate increases, and your blood flows away from your heart into your limbs, making it easier for you to run for your life. That's not all. Fear produces fogginess. Well, some parts of your brain are revving up. Other parts are actually shutting down. See, when the amygdala senses fear, the cerebral cortex becomes impaired. It's like your brain goes on vacation just when you thought you needed it the most. But there's something good about fear. Fear can protect you. It can. Because when fear sets in, even, you know, maybe temporarily, it can stop you from doing something that would actually be harmful for you. A lot of people like to go to Florida in the winter, right? Even for a week or so. So when you're standing on that beach in Florida and you see that shark fin, you know, 25 feet off the shore, fear will keep you planted right where you are. In fact, if the water's over there, fear might even cause you to take a few steps back even though the shark isn't gonna crawl to you or something, right? So fear can be a good thing. So why would God tell us not to fear? Here's why. Fear When we feel it, it's about survival. It's survival. That's why the amygdala brings about survival responses known as fight, flight, or freeze. You heard of that before? Here's the thing. Surviving is not the same thing as truly living. 
When we embrace fear as our norm, our internal life is a storm. I'll say that again. When we embrace fear as our norm, our internal life is like a storm. It's one reason why God says not to fear, because God wants us to live by thriving, not merely surviving. But for some of you, that's where you've been a long while now. You've been in survival mode. Fear of a a diagnosis, fear of your boss, fear of your spouse, fear of the stock market, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of where your, your current health matter might take you, fear of a possible change, fear of our culture and where in the world is it going, fear of your, from your past, fear of your present, fear for the future, fear. It comes in various shapes and sizes. And in the midst of all of this fear, God lovingly tells you, fear not. Fear not. You see, biblically speaking, two different roads exist which beckon us to walk in fear. Did you know that? Two different roads. One road, tremendously helpful for us if we'll embrace it. The other is downright destructive. One poet put it this way. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. You see, when God told Israel not to fear, he was strongly discouraging them from walking one road and trying to encourage them to embrace the other. You see, the helpful road, it's known as the fear of God. The fear of God. Having absolute respect, trust, and awe for God instead of being afraid of him. You see, when it comes to fearing God, one person asks this, but what is the fear of the Lord? It is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's will. And somebody who bends himself humbly and carefully to the father's will is someone who walks and chooses obedience. For just as obedience to the Lord is an indication of our love for him, so it is also a proof of our fear of God. And the remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Friends, as wonderful as the road is to fearing God, it is by far the less traveled road. And this holds true, even though the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding So the psalmist says you're gonna have a good understanding of God. A good understanding of God's faithfulness, of his provision. A good understanding of our situation. A good understanding of how God can change everything regarding our situation. You see, the fear of God is the kind of fear we should embrace every single moment of every single day. It's the best road. It's the wise road. It's the helpful road. Let's be honest, it's not the road we often choose because we often think that we've got things handled or we should have things handled. It's in our control. And because we want to look good in the eyes of others, oftentimes we embrace the other road, the fear of man. The fear of man. Having absolute respect, trust, and awe for the opinion of others or what they might seek to accomplish. And this is by far the most traveled road. As one man put it, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. When we fear God little, we fear what others will do to us. We fear tomorrow and we haven't yet even finished today. 
We fear rejection, so we reject what God says. We fear tarnishing our own image, so we minimize God who made us in his image. And we fear being last, we aggressively pursue being first. It's called the fear of man. A friend of mine wrote me just about a week or so ago. He said I could share this with you. He wrote, I took a speech class during my first year of high school and the assignment for our very first speech was to talk about a personal experience. I immediately knew the Lord would want me to tell the class how I became a Christian. I was paralyzed with fear. I mean, what would they think? I went home and talked to God and said, this is gonna ruin my reputation. They're gonna call me a Jesus freak. I mean, I'm just getting started in the school and from the very beginning, I'll be a laughing stock. But if this is what you want, okay. With shaking hands and trembling voice, I delivered the speech. And to my amazement, no one laughed or belittled me. So I went home and told the Lord that during the four-year speech program, I would give all my speeches about him. I kept that promise, and God opened some marvelous doors for me during those years. Fifteen years later, I came across an old classmate who told me he had become a Christian as a result of one of those speeches. As a pre-med student, he could not get the speech out of his mind, so he surrendered his life to Christ, left pre-med, became a pastor, a church consultant, and a national and international speaker, even preaching the gospel in China. And I thought back to that night when I had the conversation with God about whether I should deliver that first speech. <laughs> I'm so grateful that my love for God won out over my fears. Don't you love that? But let's be honest, how often have we embraced the opposite? Our fear of ban has won out over our love for God. And when this is the case, we can become recipients of God's five woes. But in the New Testament, in the Gospels, we see that in order to be recipients of God's blessing and of his favor, Jesus warned us by saying this. He said, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body. He's basically saying, you know what, it's so much better to fear God who has all authority than it is to fear man who has so little authority. You see, the fear of man is not just an inferior road. The fear of man lays a snare, a trap, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Don't you love that? Traps surprise a person. Traps wound, traps kill. So are you currently standing inside of a trap and don't even know it? You've been fearing man for so long, you don't even know that you're standing there and it's ready to come up on you. Where are you? Friends, may we never forget that the fear of men weakens, but the fear of the Lord strengthens. So how can we tell the difference? Well, the Bible tells us that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's the idea that God loves you so much. Think about this. He provides you not with just one light, but two. His word, his revealed truth in scripture serves as both a lamp that provides enough light for you to take your next step safely and then tells you how to take that next step. And then if we take that next step in obedience, we are introduced to the light. It shines a spotlight on the path ahead. So one light, the lamp, prepares the way for the other light to shine. And the good news, both lights are available to us when we submit to God's word. And why would we not? 
Because all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not just some good works, but all good things. And how will God then equip us in this thing called fear? What does that equipping look like? Well, it's right there in the text. Through two resulting blessings, according to Isaiah 41. Remember, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. And then we should stop and say, okay, then what is the result of fearing God then and refusing to fear man? Blessing number one, God will strengthen you and help you. So the Bible tells us that when we submit to God's word, God gives us strength to minister to others. Even when we don't think we have the smarts, the capabilities, or whatever, he's going to give us strength to help others. God also gives us strength to face persecution, however and whenever it comes. He's there. And God gives us strength to overcome death. Because of Jesus Christ's victory over hell and the grave, we can know life. So God's strength helps us to live for him to live for others, and to live free from the fear of others. And it brings us to the second blessing. God will uphold you with his righteous right hand. He'll uphold you with his righteous right hand. Now, many people can picture being upheld by something, but why the right hand? Why not the left? Is there something that's not great about the left? I mean, what's going on here? Well, I think it's interesting to note that the right hand appears 166 times in the Bible. Biblically speaking, God's right hand is the hand of authority. For example, during Christ's legal trial, Jesus told his accusers, from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So the right hand is the hand of authority. In Scripture, we also see that God's right hand is the hand of blessing. In fact, all the way back in the Old Testament, whenever a father wanted to bless his children, there's only one time this isn't the case, but whenever he wanted to bless his children, he would bless them with his right hand. Never his left, because in the Jewish culture, your left hand was your dirty hand. Always with the right. So the right hand is the hand of blessing. In Scripture, we also see that God's right hand is the hand of strength. Moses wrote, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. So put this all together, what do you get? When I forsake the fear of man and embrace the fear of God, I live under God's authority, strength, and blessing. When I forsake the fear of man and embrace the fear of God, I live under God's authority, strength, and blessing. So fear not. For I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So, friend, what does it look like for you to truly fear God? What steps do you need to take to truly fear Him? And what does it look like for you to set aside your fear of man so you can truly fear Him? Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you are God. We are not. God, we thank you that you are in control and we are not. <laughs> but Lord, in the midst of our daily lives, we encounter so much. It can be so confusing, so hard. 
things we don't understand or sometimes things we think we understand but we're wrong and that causes us other problems too. Lord, in the midst of it all, it can be confusing. And so we choose to fear. Fear what others can do to us or say to us or what that means. Lord, help us to fear you. Help us, Lord, to look to you in the middle of all the chaos, in the middle of all the junk, in the middle of all the false statements in our world being made today. In the middle of it all, may we focus on you and may you be our firm foundation. May we fear you only. And that when we do, we will walk in your authority and your strength and in your blessing. So make this our heart song. Make this our heart's prayer that you and you only be our firm foundation, God. Hear us now as we worship. Thanks for listening. You can stay connected throughout the week by following Montgomery Community Church on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about MCC, visit our website at mcc.church.